This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. We're in a series called ID Check, Identification Check, because your ID, your identification, your identity in Christ is listed for us here in the book of Ephesians. We look now at chapter 5, Christ's love impacts the church and marriages. Ephesians 5, verses 21 to 33. Let me read these verses for us, and we will look at God's word more in depth afterwards. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In this way, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, please teach us as we look at your word together. Speak to our hearts and give us understanding. May our lives be transformed, and may we walk in the truth as a result of what we Receive from your Holy Spirit through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ's love impacts the church and marriages. And we're going to learn about this as we find four important points. One is that mutual submission, that is submitting to one another, is the key to all relationships. You really cannot have a relationship with somebody else, whether it be a marriage or a partnership or a team, unless everybody is in it for each other. There's mutual submission. That's key to all relationships. And the secret to harmony, number two, is to be spirit-filled. When you're full of the spirit of Christ, you exhibit the character and conduct of Christ, and that blesses your relationships. 
And when two people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're desiring to glorify Christ and they're heading towards Christ, guess what? They head closer to each other. If you have the same apex, you will grow closer to each other. Jesus is our focus. We're setting our eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Number three, yes, it says in this passage, wives are to respectfully support their husbands. That's a clear message. But it also says, number four, husbands are to considerately love their wife. All right, let's look at this verse by verse in Ephesians 5. First of all, mutual submission is key to all relationships. In Ephesians 5.21, Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Many people get hung up on it saying in the scriptures, wives are to submit to their husbands. But it's preceded by this verse. Everyone submit to one another. Not just wives to husbands. Everybody is to submit to one another. Now let me say to you that this is a radical principle in Paul's day. Why? Because to the Jewish person, they would wake up every morning and say, God, this is a Jewish man, I'm glad I'm not a Gentile or a woman. Now that's a terrible view of women. And in the, in the Greek culture, um, there was a very low view of women. They were property and they were to, kept, to be kept hidden and um, um, people could go to prostitutes at the temple or have their adulterous affairs as long as they kept their little woman in the house. That's a terrible view. And then in the Roman government, women had to submit to any and all men. So for Paul to write, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ was radical. I call it the mutual submission paradigm. It was a new way of looking at life, a new way of approaching relationships, and it's this. To submit is to yield in love to another person. Submission is reciprocal, it's voluntary, it's mutual, it's personal. It's not a pressure from without, it's a desire from within. I want to submit to you. I want to partner with you. I want us to blend our gifts and talents and hearts and minds for the glory of God. It's kind of like the three musketeers. They join hands together and they say, all for one and one for all. You know, they're going to combine their skills with their swords and, and their talents to win because they submit to one another and they submit to the Lord. I, I would wish that every married couple would say, um, we, are in, we join hands and we're in it for each other to the glory of God. That's what it's about. The new paradigm, the mutual submission paradigm. So again, what's so key about this is that the word submit in Ephesians 5.21 is linked grammatically 
both backward to Ephesians 5.18 and forward to Ephesians 5.23. In fact, verse 21 concludes the previous unit, 18 to 20, and begins the next unit, 22 to 24, since it supplies the final participle in 5.18 as well as the verb in 5.22. Now that's technical language, but let me tell you what it means. It means that the secret of harmony in the home and in the church is in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, you may not have seen this before, but I think you're going to be very surprised that when it says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit, that this is a command. We are all commanded as Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life on the fumes of your own personality. You're going to run on empty, and the real raw you is going to show up. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. You need Him to infill you and infuse you and empower you. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength and power and by your own personality. And this applies to all Christians. All Christians are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's a present tense verb, which means that we are continually to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word filled is not taking a cup and filling it up with water to the brim or to overflowing. The word filled is to be controlled by. When you're controlled by alcohol, it's not that every cell in your body is totally saturated with alcohol. It means you're under the influence of alcohol. And so when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. He's influencing, he's guiding, he's inspiring, he is blessing everything about your life. Your attitude and your actions and your words are being influenced, they're being controlled, they're being empowered, they're being energized by the Holy Spirit. And the verb is passive. That is, we don't fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit fills us with himself. And we receive him, we allow him to have complete control, complete possession. We let him be captain and Lord in our lives, and he takes over and guides us and uses the filter of our personality. And there's a parallel to Ephesians 5 over in Colossians 3, which talks about let the word of God dwell in you fully. And it means that the word of God and the spirit of God are to saturate our being. They are to control us and influence us. So let me give you a definition. To be filled with the spirit means to be constantly controlled by the Holy Spirit and influenced by the Word of God in our mind, emotions, and will. So imagine the Spirit of Christ and the manufacturer's handbook of the Bible influencing your life. Would that not improve your relationships 100%? Of course it would, because Christ in you is loving through you 
to your spouse, to your friend, to your neighbor. We're to be spirit-filled. Now here's where everybody misses it. And to catch this, I'm going to... um, Okay, to catch this, I'm going to read for you out of the New English Translation, verses 18 to 20, or excuse me, 18 to uh, 21. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, which means a waste, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why do we miss that? That submitting is one of the four characteristics of a spirit-filled person. If you look at the New International Version, you'll see that there's a heading right on top of that verse in many translations. Headings are not scripture. Headings are helpful guidelines to break down what the scriptures are saying. And so we kind of stop after when the Spirit fills you, you're speaking words of encouragement from the, uh, you're telling testimonies to one another, you're singing and praising God, and you're you're always giving thanks to Him um, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we stop there. Because there's a heading. But we shouldn't stop there. Not only are we singing and praising and giving testimony and giving thanks, we are submitting to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you and I tend to want to have our own way, don't we? You and I want to promote self, and we want to be all important, and we want it to be about us. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us to be humble. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us to be other-oriented and think about others instead of ourselves. It takes, oh, I just turned it off. It takes the Holy Spirit to actually honor other people. You cannot do it in your own strength. Now, having said all that, we come to three, point three, wives are to respectfully support their husband. And here, I'm using the message because I believe that Eugene Peterson in his translation called The Message captured the essence of this truth. He writes, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Now let me tell you what submission is not. Submission is not an order from someone but it's a willing choice from within you. It's not being demanding, domineering, authoritarian, being macho, being king of the castle. No, that's not the spirit of submission. 
It's not about hierarchy. No believer is inherently superior to any other believer in their standing before God. We're equal in every way, according to Galatians 3.28. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Submission has to do with love. We're submitting to Christ-like love. Even headship is not dictatorship. Headship is that the man is the origin of woman because man was a woman was taken out of the rib of man just as the church is the origin of Christ. Christ is the origin of the church. So this whole concept of you've got to submit to me because I'm the head. And they throw the Bible and they use the Bible as a club saying you've got to submit to me. No. You were not called to be a doormat, to be walked all over. There's a responsibility here of love, and there is an attitude of mutual submission. And without that understanding, we have a distorted teaching going around that is a form of male chauvinism and of hatred of women. And we need to stand against that because we're all to submit. We're all to have sensitivity, responsiveness, yielding. We're all to be loving and kind and caring. We're all to be respectful. So a wife is asked to submit to sacrificial love. Now it says in verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Of course, a wife is not to submit to her husband in doing evil. A, husband, a wife is not to submit to her husband in doing something that is uncomfortable and um, um, unfair to her. But, so a husband does not have unlimited authority over his wife. He is the spiritual head of the family, and spiritual leadership involves serving his wife. Just like Jesus washed his disciples' feet and said, as I have done unto you, you are to do unto others. That's what we're talking about here. Three verses are given on the role and responsibility of the Christian wife. Guess how many verses are given for the role and responsibility of the Christian husband? Nine. Three times as many verses are given to instruct the husband than the wife. So husbands are to considerately love their wife. And I'm going to give you three words that start with an S. The first one is sacrificial love. Ephesians 5.25. Because Paul had to repeat himself three times to say, husbands, love your wives. And every time he repeated himself, he changed the color or the aspect or the angle by which they are to love their wives so that they would not forget it and that they would get it. He repeated himself three times, Ephesians 5.28 as well as 5.33, joined 5.25. So 5.25, sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is sacrificial love, that the Lord Jesus 
laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sins and for us to be washed in his blood and forgiven of our sins. And we as husbands are to lay our lives down continuously, putting aside our preferences, serving the needs our wives have, and we are to um, die to self and die to selfishness, sacrificial love. And by the way, in this, it says in verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her with, by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So not only did the Lord Jesus die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, but he's given us the Holy Spirit and the word of God so that we can continually grow in Christ-likeness. So that one day when we come into his presence, we will be like a radiant bride and we'll have no spot or blemish. When we see him, we shall be like him. I always tell a couple that a woman looks her most gorgeous and most beautiful self on her wedding day when she's radiant in her wedding dress. And we're going to look radiant as the bride of Christ when we're in heaven because Christ will have finished his work of cleansing us from all sin and separating us from all sin and will be in his presence forever. Praise be to God. What he begins, he will finish and complete. So that's sacrificial love. In verse 28, it's sensitive love. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Watch this emphasis. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So not only to have sacrificial love, to be willing to lay down your life for your bride every single day, but you have sensitive love that just as you don't ignore your body, when you're hungry, you feed yourself, when you're dirty, you wash yourself, and uh, so forth, you pay attention to your body, and you, you practice good hygiene, and you try to eat better and exercise, and you know what? If you're paying that much attention to your body, you should be paying that kind of sensitive attention to your wife. That's what it's saying here, sensitive love. And it goes on to say in Ephesians 5.31, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a quote from Genesis 2.24. Three times the institution of marriage is mentioned in the Bible. Genesis 2.24, where God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's when he instituted marriage. Then in Matthew 19, when Jesus is asked, can we divorce a wife for any reason? He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh to talk about the permanency of marriage. And then you have it here mentioned in the marriage chapter, Ephesians 5. The point is that the goal of marriage is intimacy. The two shall become one flesh. It doesn't speak just of the sexual union. It speaks of two people sharing life in common on every dimension. Social intimacy, uh, physical intimacy, uh, recreational intimacy, intellectual intimacy. Uh, there is so much to be shared. 
The goal of marriage is intimacy. And the opposite of intimacy is isolation. And Christian couples are like salmon swimming upstream and all the currents of the world are pushing against us. Instead of being intimate, the world wants to get us to separate us so that we're like ships passing in the night. And so what we need to do and encourage others is we need to guard our intimacy and grow our intimacy. That's what we're to be about. Because we're one. And Paul writes, this is a profound mystery. A mystery is a past hidden reality now revealed in Scripture, a new paradigm. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Did you notice that throughout this passage, every time Paul talked about the husband and the wife, he talks about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Christ loves us sacrificially. Christ loves us sensitively. And uh, we're going to see the third S of how Christ loves us. Christ is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he's devoted to us, and he is growing us in holiness, sanctifying us, and he is our Lord. We are members of his body. All right, so then the last S is sympathetic love. You have sacrificial love, sensitive love, and sympathetic love, 533. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You ever hear a man say, can you cut me some slack here? You know, can you, can you sympathize with me? Can you uh, give me a break? You know, just like a guy wants uh, uh, forgiveness and understanding and patience, he should be using that sympathetic love that he wants and expressing it to his wife. Do you see that? He should love his wife as himself. He should do unto others, his wife specifically, as he would have his wife do unto him. I have a little quote here. Failure to love is just as often the source of marital trouble as failure to respect. So there's two parts of this. The husband is to love and the wife is to respect. And why did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to emphasize those two features for the husband and for the wife? The husband to love and the wife to respect. Obviously, the husband and the wife are both to love and respect each other. But in tough times when going gets rough, the husband's going to be less loving and the wife's going to be less respectful. So only by the power of the Holy Spirit and obedience to the word of God and following the example of Christ can the husband be more loving in tough pressure times and the wife be more respectful in tough pressure times. Does that make sense? So Christ's love impacts the church and the marriages. How? Because we all want to have an attitude of submission to one another. We're all putting our hands in the center of the circle and we're saying one, all for one and one for all. Also, the secret to harmony is being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Fill me, control me, influence me. Help me to be obedient to your word. I want to love others and walk in love as Christ walked in love, as a fragrant sacrifice to you. 
So be spirit-filled. And then wives, respectfully support your husband, and husbands, considerately love your wife with a sacrificial love, a sensitive love, and a sympathetic love. That's the teaching of God's Word, the practical application to our relationships in the church and in the home. Would you bow with me in prayer? Those of you who have not trusted in Christ, this is the time to do so. Jesus makes all the difference in your life. You look at your relationships and it's been one mess after another and you say, Lord, I need help. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Teach me how to love. Lord Jesus, save me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. Forgive me of my sins. Would you pray that? Just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe that you died and took my place and you paid the penalty for my sin that I deserved to die and you died in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, your friendship. I receive you into my heart, into my life as my Savior and Lord right now. And then, Lord, I pray your blessing on everybody here. I know many have been widowed, and now uh, they're alone. But I do thank you that they can be examples and teach others the truth about marriage, Christian marriage. And, Lord, this still applies to us as a church, that we need to mutually submit and be filled with your Spirit. So, Lord, help us to love and respect and be witnesses for Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.